feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And tonight, some very sad news coming out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where there are said to be nine victims um, and also the gunmen included, apparently, in that total of those who have been killed in a shooting at a medical complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Still trying to get word about the shooter and the motive But it was at a medical complex. Police were alerted just before 5 o'clock local time to an active shooter situation at a big medical complex there. And many people reacting to that tonight. uh, The shooter was said to have a rifle and a handgun. Again, it is unclear of the motive. Uh, The suspect is described as a man between 35 to 40 years old. And authorities say that they are in the process of trying to confirm his identity. Apparently, he took his own life as police came close to him at that location. And as we get details, again, a very tragic situation coming out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where now they are said to be nine victims uh, that are dead, uh, including the shooter, after a shooting at a medical complex in Tulsa. And as we get details, we will bring that to you. Of course, the community and the world still in shock over what happened down in Texas. And tonight, still many more troubling questions as we're trying to get so many details. There's a lot of big discussions tonight uh, about gun control. Uh, Certainly what we just reported there in Tulsa will also rejuvenate talks on gun control, also red flags, background. Again, this individual was an adult, it appears. It doesn't sound like he was a a teenager, as was the case, of course, at the shooting in Texas. But still, so many people now talking about security in public locations, whether it be schools or whether it be a medical center, whether it be a supermarket, as we know of what happened in Buffalo. And coming up today on the show, in just about 10, 15 minutes, we're going to be speaking with Libby Emmons, who wrote a really powerful op-ed that was in the New York Post, talking about her thoughts about Uvalde, Texas, and what she thinks needs to be done now in terms of cutting off access to those with mental issues. Is there an age limit that maybe should be on guns? Is there some sort of compromise between Republicans and Democrats? And also, What can be done to make sure that those who have mental illness do not have access to guns? I think that that is certainly something, a common ground that everybody can agree on. And where do we go from here? 1-800-848-9222. Meantime, still so many questions about the police response in Texas. The more we hear the more stunning it is. And in a moment, we're going to talk about this Uvalde school security chief who keeps ducking and weaving authorities. 
He claims that he's not, but then he won't even answer a single question from the media crew. I mean, this guy is really uh, MIA. And at a time where now the family members are outraged and the fury is mounting because they say they want answers as to why the police didn't charge. And now so many individuals across the country, leaders across the country are saying this wouldn't happen, including Mayor Eric Adams in New York says the NYPD would have gone full force in. Take a listen. That is not going to happen in New York. Uh, We go in with an active shooter. Not only would the police go in with an active shooter, but the FDNY, EMS, they're trained to go in with an active shooter. And also Chris Schwecker, former police chief, says this about Texas authorities. So, So what we're seeing right now is the police chief is feeling the heat. And in law enforcement, when you're involved in a shooting, you you can't be compelled to give a statement. And even if they, you know, they can't threaten to fire you if you don't give a statement. There's a there's a court case called Garrity versus New Jersey mm-hmm. that gives police officers those protections. It's, it's similar to the right against self-incrimination. So I think by now, I think the relationship in the D, between the DPS and the police departments, both of them, Uvalde and ISD, has deteriorated significantly since the big press conference. It sure has. But what about the police chief who doesn't seem to want to talk to the media or, more importantly, Texas authorities? Take a listen to Chris Schwecker about that. You don't have to do the actual shooting. If you're involved in an actual shooting incident and he's in command, he's giving the orders uh, probably until the Border Patrol took over. But that all has to be sorted out. My, my educated guess here is he's consulted an attorney, perhaps an FOP attorney. They, they know how to deal with these situations. And as you say, the battle lines have been drawn. And I think they were drawn the day that, that my former colleague, uh, Colonel Steve McCraw, gave that press conference and said they made the wrong decisions. This is, you know, this is a state agency their local agencies. Sometimes there is friction, but I think that friction is underscored in this particular case, and it could have some pretty lasting impact. Uh, I think it's going to have a lot of impact because for some reason this chief, who it sounds like by all accounts made the wrong call and was the commander at the scene, well, finally today CNN catches up with him. He's on his way to the office And I wish there were more media crews over there trying to catch up with this guy. Take a listen to this guy deflecting every single question and listen to the way he answers. Are you cooperating with authorities? Take a listen to this exchange with the CNN reporter. And this is Pete Arredondo, who is the Uvalde police chief of security for the school district. And again, the one that Texas authorities say was the commander and the one who never said, go in and go into the classroom and get the shooter. Take a listen. We want to talk to you about your decision and what the DPS Are you director said. How's it going? Good, I'm Pete. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We want to talk to you yeah. about the sure. decision and what department we're doing, but, but just to let y'all know, and I just spoke with uh, I know you did, but well, you're, not, you're not bluffing me, are you? No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This way. no. Just so y'all know, just so you all know, obviously, we're not going to release anything. We have, we have people in our community being buried, so. 
So we're going to be respectful. I, I just want your reaction we're gonna, we're gonna, to we're gonna, the director gonna, McGraw gonna, saying gonna, that you were responsible for the decision right. we're to go into be, that room. How do you explain gonna yourself be, to the family? We're going to be respectful to the family. I understand and, that, and, but you have and an and opportunity point, oh, and sure, and to explain we're gonna, yourself to the parents. And just so you know, we're going to we're gonna do that eventually, obviously. When? And whenever this is done, and we let the, the families quit grieving, then we'll do that, obviously. And just so... We have, just so everybody, and just so everybody, just so everybody feels. knows, we've been in contact with DPS every day. Just so you all know, they say you're every not, day. They say that you're not cooperating. I've, I've been on the phone with them every day. Just they so you say you're not cooperating. So just, just two just, seconds. Just, 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 just so you know, we've been talking to them every day. What, what, I, is, I your, what is your reaction? Y'all have a good day. What is your reaction, sir? Um, I've been on the phone with them every day. It could be I'm on the phone and I'm not ready to talk. He doesn't say, "Oh yeah, I'm." Fully giving everything I know and every piece of information. We've been on the phone with them every day. That could mean, click, we're not available. Click, we're not available. That guy deserves to give answers to the family. What is going on with this local police chief who doesn't seem to want to give answers and the Texas DPS tonight says he is not cooperating? He did originally, they said, and then soon as everybody said, this is the guy who wasn't making the right calls, he's suddenly MIA. So do you believe that guy who claims that he's talking to them every day, but he didn't say what he's saying to them? He could be saying, I'm not cooperating. That's talking to him, if you take his words literally. What does he have to hide? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Phil on line one. Phil, your thoughts about this you 100 percent more it's it's really tragic that the guy is playing the loose you know the tight lip routine you know like well uh, i'll speak to you later or things are happening and yada yada but see you know it's circling around the the issues that need to be addressed one one thing i wanted to point out tonight was that you've got a spate of these people going around there was one today too like you said earlier in your uh when you picked up the uh station uh the point is that you know, you look at this two ways. Sociology tells us that there are deviants in society. They, it's a natural fact. You can't say, no, there are no bad people. No, there, there's 100% good people. There are people that just react on an impulse. It's built up over time, and they react. We might, God forbid, I say really, God, God forbid, that we see more of these because the innocent people that are that are drawn up in this, it's just unacceptable. Yeah, thousand percent. And you also have to worry, are there copycats potentially? You know, I mean, that's a sad thing. When a lot of these things happen, there often are other people out there who want to do the same thing, um, are mentally disturbed as well, um, take it upon themselves, sort of, you know, get into the moment as well. Um, and you know, it's tragic and it's horrible and obviously they have mental issues, but they kind of capitalize on the situation and and it's, it's shameful and it's disgusting, Phil. Um, where do we go from here, Phil? Where, what do you think? And what do you think is going to happen first off with this police chief who's doing the rope-a-dope? Well, I think, I think he's going to get hung up by his, by his petard, so to speak, but he, he will not. He will not be thrown in prison or this or that. You know, they'll find a way to, to parcel it out. And, you know, he'll, he'll do a Cornwall. He'll quietly disappear into the wilderness. But the thing is, more, more of a concern is what are schools and large 
places of worship and, and, you know, like malls, what are they going to do with part of their profits in terms of having armed security presence? So if someone comes in suspicious, they see anything going down, they pin him down and he's God. This is, this is the important thing. And by the way, what's very interesting about this whole thing with these shooters, they're all men. Isn't that strange? Yeah, it is. And typically, I mean, obviously, this was unusual tonight because this was at a hospital facility, too. Um, and they say the suspect is somewhere they think in their in his 30s or 40s. But um, as we know from some of the recent ones, it's been teenagers. You know, a lot of times it's it's teenagers. Like you just said, it's predominantly men, not always, but predominantly men. Um, and also, if you look at the background, there's a history in a lot of their backgrounds, mental history. Issues, psychological history, you know, history, uh, broken families. I mean, there's a lot of things here, um, but we need to get to the bottom of it to understand it so it doesn't happen again. Phil, thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. And everybody, when we come back, we're going to continue with your calls. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And we will also talk with the Millennial Post's Libby Emmons, who wrote a really powerful op-ed in the New York Post, talking about potentially raising the age for gun ownership that Uvalde must shock politicians into action. We're going to ask her all about it right after the break. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about the case in Uvalde, Texas. New York City Mayor Eric Adams saying that the NYPD would not have made the same mistakes that those on the ground there in Uvalde, the law enforcement did, that the NYPD would have charged. And he also said that there have been a big history and a big success of late of getting guns off the street of New York. Take a listen to the mayor. We took 2,900 guns off the street since I, w- I have been the mayor. That's, that's unimaginable. And joining us now to talk about what should be done and what are some of the ways that Republicans and Democrats and all Americans can maybe work together to make our kids safer, particularly in school and elsewhere, is Libby Emmons with The Post Millennial. She also wrote a really powerful op-ed in The New York Post. Uh, Great to have you here, Libby. Thanks so much, Rita. I appreciate it. You know, Libby, your title of your story is called Terrible Funerals in Uvalde Must Shock Politicians into Action. What action do you think should happen? What, you know, and give a background about yourself because you are you're a Second Amendment gal, but you think there's some maybe some middle ground here. Yeah, so I'm a New Yorker. I've lived in New York most of my life at this point. I'm a mom. My son is in middle school uh, here in the city. His middle school, once school is underway, there's one entrance and there's uh, five New York City police officers assigned to his school. Um, and I, after the after the shooting in in Uvalde, I was um, I was grateful for those officers when I go to school. In the morning and drop him off, they say, hey, mom, you know, how's it going? Uh, they know all the kids. They know the faces of all the kids. They know the parents. Um, they know the teachers. They know the staff. So that's my perspective. I, you know, I grew up 
um, entirely in the Northeast Corridor. I haven't spent any real time in, um, you know, parts of the U.S. that are not in the Northeast. And I'm seeing uh, certainly conservatives are um, very pro-Second Amendment. I agree with that. I'm in favor of all of our constitutional rights. I'm, I'm in favor of all of our natural rights. Um, there is, however, a concern that we're seeing in the U.S. We've seen it for a long time. Uh, we've seen, you know, urban violence, uh, certainly the kind that Mayor Adams was talking about. We've seen that. We've seen, um, and that takes the lives of children all over the country. We've seen um, violence in schools. We saw it with Columbine back in the 90s, and we've seen it over and over again. And every time it happens, we see politicians get on TV really quick and start talking about all of the different ideas that they have for legislation. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. I was thinking perhaps we could have an age adjustment. Um, a lot of things are restricted to people until they're 21. Perhaps uh, owning guns should be, should be one of them. I will tell you, though, I got a lot of pushback from my colleagues over this, specifically those that did grow up in rural America, telling me, you know, you have no idea what it's like other places. It's your city privilege. And I was like, whoa. All right, fellas. Um, so yeah, so, so you I, believe, Libby, what that that what maybe if they're like one of the things I thought was really compelling. You make the case that you know if you can't buy cigarettes or alcohol, maybe we should have the same age for guns. Right, that was sort of what I was thinking. And the question becomes: if there should not be an age limit to buying guns, how long, how old should you have to be before you're able to buy a gun? Should we be arming students in the classroom so that they can take down the shooters themselves? How how pervasive should this um, should this gun culture be across ages? Kids used to get trained on how to use guns in schools. I would also be in favor of something like that. You know, add it to the physical education requirements, learning how to use guns. Um, I learned how to use guns in theater, oddly enough, um, in stage combat. And uh, yeah, you know, I think that. Um, I think there definitely could be some middle ground to be had. Uh, as your previous caller was saying, these shooters are primarily men. We saw in Tulsa, Oklahoma today, another man decided to take out a bunch of people on his way to hell, apparently. Um, how much more of this are we going to see? There is a concern about a slippery slope, but you know, we're watching people turn into murderers. Uh, all the time because of their access, perhaps. Um, but I do think that one thing that's interesting is that uh, this has this op-ed today has definitely spurred some conversation among my colleagues that I don't conversations that I don't think we might have had otherwise. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and yeah. that's why I think it's a good, healthy thing for a discussion because there has to be something that there has to be some sort of middle ground that people can talk about the problem. Also, Libby, and you know this all too well. Um, even on the Democratic side, we had the president via his spokesperson say he's not for hardening schools, you know, right. and then he doesn't seem to want to talk about mental health or any of these other arenas. It's like, you know, it's only sort of one trick pony. And I think there's a lot of layers to the discussion. We have about a minute left, but I want to get you to respond. Do you, are you confident that you think there is some middle ground? It seems like like one side is talking one and the other side's talking the other. 
Yeah, I think there better be a middle ground. And I think that the president's plan to eliminate gun rights for adults is a terrible, terrible idea that could lead to authoritarianism, as we're seeing in Canada. They're pulling guns from everybody. Um, And that's, you know, that's a very bad situation. And also it goes against our constitutional rights. There has to be a middle ground, though. And I think one thing that we're not considering um, is that in America, we have lost our meaning. We have lost a values system. We've lost our morality. We've lost religion. Why are there so many people clinging to and finding nihilism to be their only answer for life? Why is that so pervasive? Is there anything we can really do to tackle that? I don't think that's a mental health issue I think that's a I think that's a meaning issue. I think that we made a mistake when we gave up God. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this. Very, very well said. Um, Libby, always appreciate your great, great perspective um, with the post-millennial. And check out her op-ed, Everybody in the New York Post. Really powerful. You got us talking here, Libby, and we appreciate that. Thanks so much, Libby. Thanks. Thank you. And everybody, when we come back, we're going to take your calls. 1-800-848-9222. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment where we honor our great men and women in uniform, a really powerful story of a reunion 44 years in the making. A paralyzed cop finally meets the NYPD officer who saved his life. It's a friendship that took a while. A cop was shot and paralyzed in Harlem, New York, 44 years ago, and he finally met the officer credited with saving his life. New York City Housing Authority police officer William McNamara was shot on June 10, 1978 in Harlem by a passerby who first asked him for the time and then rushed the then young officer, grabbing the cop's revolver and opening fire with it. McNamara was then just 25 years old. He was able to radio for help. And within moments, two NYPD officers from the 32nd Precinct, Armando Lazzetti and James McKenney, were at the scene. Lazzetti loaded McNamara into the back of a police cruiser and McKenney sped to St. Luke's Hospital. Just the day before, McNamara had received his college degree. At the hospital that night, he was read his last rites, but he luckily survived. And he was told that in no uncertain terms, he would have absolutely had died if it was not for the quick response of his fellow brothers in blue. Well, the two now finally had a chance to meet. About a week ago at the 32nd Precinct Station House in Harlem, at a ceremony honoring officers Wilbert Mora and Jason Rivera, who were shot to death, as you know, in January, responding to a call from a woman being threatened by her son. McNamara said, it was nice to meet someone who impacted my life so much. He got a chance to meet Officer Lazzetti. He said, he saved my life. If I didn't get to the hospital when I got there, I know I would not be here now. He is what I would consider a dear friend and my angel. How beautiful that they got reunited after so many years. And what a powerful story about also the sacrifices of our men and women in blue, that they always have a really, really difficult job. 
And it is much, much tougher now, given all the complexities of all the things that are going on. And we've been talking about the school shooting and then tonight, the shooting that took place at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, So many cases that are happening and a lot of people talking, as we were just before the break with Libby Emmons, talking about gun control. And the left is just going hardcore. I mean, President Biden, he had to get cleaned up again, his statements, because he keeps tripping and all over himself. But when he was asked about gun control, he was talking about nine millimeter handguns. And people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Was he talking about banning every single gun out there? Does he realize there's a Second Amendment? Well, if you listen to some people on the left, they are just going full throttle that it is all about guns. Take a listen, first of all, to Whoopi Goldberg on The View. I don't want all your guns the way you don't want to take away all my rights to abortion. I don't want all your guns. I want that AR-15. I want it. Wow. I want it. And she's looking at it in the camera. And then, by the way, the White House did have to go back and clarify that statement that Biden made and said, no, 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 no. He doesn't want to take away handguns, but he is looking at maybe raising the age. Um, Libby suggested that potentially with certain guns. Um, Then the other also issue is maybe assault weapons. There's a whole bunch of different areas. But the Democrats, for some reason, will not talk about school security. And I think as we were just talking with Libby, there's a lot of things to talk about right now. Uh, She was talking about the security guards at her children's school. And that's important because what about hardening schools? What about adding school security guards that are trained, that are armed, that can protect? And you can bet that how many times have we heard from some of these shooters who said, hey, I was about to go to this target, but then I saw an armed security guard out front. It didn't look as easy of a target. So I kept driving and looked for, quote, a soft target. Why would you not want to make sure... All these locations are as safe as possible. But what's really interesting, and this is why the Democrats are so politicizing this, but I do think there needs to be a discussion after what has happened, the horribleness of what's happened. But the Democrats refuse to talk about beefing up school security. It's like they're allergic to the thought of having armed guards at schools as opposed to just talking about guns, guns, guns. They don't want to do anything to add extra layers of protection at school. You know, they keep saying, oh, no, we don't really want metal detectors. We don't want guards. We don't want anything that's going to make them feel like it's Fort Knox. I think there's a lot of kids who would like to feel safe when they go to school right now, especially they're scared. And seeing some of these things would give them comfort. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. It's 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Meantime, as I was saying, President Biden does not want to go for, quote, hardening schools. And that, to me, is absolutely, it it says to me that he's playing politics with all this because he's using the guns as the headline but refusing to look at other layers. I think you look at everything. But he is a one-trick pony. It's guns, guns, guns. This is what his press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, said when she was asked, does the president want to add school security? Does he want to harden schools? And she said, No. Take a listen. This is her making the comments about the president. 
you know, we are the only country uh, that is dealing with gun violence at the rate that we're dealing. And other countries have mental health issues. So what's the problem here? Um, and so the problems is the problem is what with is with guns and not having uh, and not having legislation to really deal with an issue uh, that is a pandemic here in this country. Uh, and so uh, you know that is that is not his focus, uh, obviously. And uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to schools and and I don't know what he said specifically about about schools. I know there's been uh, conversation about hardening schools. That is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools. That's crazy. So he doesn't believe in hardening schools and adding extra layers. Meanwhile, by the way, New York City is exploring gun detectors on subways, looking at doing some things. And there's a lot of people that come in and out of New York City subways, as you guys know. There's been a shooting there recently, a number of them, but that mass shooting particularly that was horrible last month. But people are looking at ways to make it so it doesn't delay everybody, but still also they feel safe. And so the president saying he no to hardening schools, how can you be a serious negotiator if the only thing you want to do is ban guns, but you won't look at hardening schools, you won't consider extra officers, extra metal detectors, any of these things, you won't consider it. That's off the table. You won't even talk about mental health. That's off the table. That is crazy. That, to me, shows that you are playing politics. one 800 let us go to Julius um, on Line 8 from Connecticut. Go ahead, Julius. Your thoughts about all this. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm not doing too good. All well, right. First of all, first of all, let me put you. I'll give you an idea where I'm coming from. I was. Uh, I applied for the Sandy Hook principalship before it happened. Oh my goodness. Okay. Are you? Are you a? Are you a school so, principal? I've been a principal, assistant principal. I have uh, certification for a superintendency. I'm 64 years old, and I can't wait to get back into education. I left it for a little while to take care of my dad. What I share is humbly shared. However, what I hear about uh, hardening schools and uh, the weapons, uh, just what, a couple things, you know, many things. I don't know how much time you got. But Al Capone, uh, the reason Al Capone was so successful, uh, do you know what the reason what that was for, why that happened? Well, I obviously I know about Al Capone, but tell me why you think he's successful, real quick, Julius. Well, he was successful because his cars were faster than the police cars. Okay, so that's what we're saying is the criminals had better tools than the police. Uh, in saying that, um, I you know if we uh, we don't want to show what those weapons do, and I'm 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 on I'm on all sides of the fence. I I applied. I interviewed for a principalship in New Hampshire, and they say, how do you, what would you do for security? I donated my German Shepherd back in 68, and uh, he went to Vietnam. He went down to Lackland Air Force Base, was trained, and uh, he didn't have any bone spurs, so he went over to Vietnam. Oh, Julius. Listen, get to the point on this one, please. Now I've heard the last decade, the decades of your life, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, he says, hopefully you I've been at all kinds of school trainings. I've been in Wyoming, trained to, uh, they changed it 
from uh, block yourself in the room to flee and run and make sure when you run, you run, run straight ahead. Again, definitely a blue-red state. I don't know what you want to call Wyoming. And I think that the, 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 what I'd like to do is the compare and contrast of the Connecticut Sandy Hook and, and the Texas. Okay, so yeah, real quick, because you obviously yeah. have some great experience. And sadly, okay. sadly, these two terrible instances... Um, there are some similarities, um, but but what do you think is? Let me just ask you real quick. What do you think is the solution, Julius? As somebody in education for a long time, um, I'm 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 from the school of thought, like as you were saying earlier, that sort of looking at all these things because I think there needs to absolutely be a discussion, and protecting our kids should be first and foremost. What do you think needs to be done now, um, in light of what happened and and sadly what happened in Connecticut? And Connecticut and and, and Buffalo, again, not just compare because when we're hardening schools, we have to now harden our our, our hospitals, we have to harden our stores. Uh, but but what I go back to is the Al Capone thing, the fact that we have people out there. It, it, I, you know, we can't show the pictures of what those those bullets do and to our children. You know, but we have we have crash dummies. I would think that. If you showed the representatives what those bullets do that are not made for hunting deer, uh, what they really do to explode the bodies apart. Uh, again, going back to Al Capone, he had the fast cars. Why do people need those kind of weapons? I'm not here for taking weapons away. Obviously, it works. If you're dealing with a security guard who, who has a gun and, and the guy coming in has a gun. But when a guy comes in with a machine gun, who, who's going to lose out? You know, so again, and the mental health thing, the kid in Sandy Hook, he had he had so many issues. But that was, you know, the, the kid in Texas, they said his there was issues with his mother. The, ki- the kid in, at Sandy Hook, his father was a, a president, vice president of General Electric. He was pay- paying his wife quarter million dollars alimony. But 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 Julius, uh, you know better and, and than I do. Um, but I covered Sandy Hook, so I know quite a bit about it. In the Sandy Hook case, and it was sad what happened, obviously, because the kid there killed his mother. Adam Lanza killed his mother, as you know, before he went to the school. But the mother was taking him to the gun range to bond with her son, who had a huge track record of mental illness. So, I mean, it doesn't matter where the father works. What, what I'm saying to you is that kid, I know for a fact, because I covered the case so intricately, that kid had so many mental problems where I think both parents showed up for different meetings. They were giving different prescriptions to the kid. There were so many reports of him for years of him having mental issues and violent rages and violent fascinations of what he wanted to do. And the mother thought for some crazy reason that her way to bond with the kid was to take him to the gun range. You know, I feel terrible, obviously, what happened to her, but that mother should never have had any guns anywhere near the kid, and the guns were in the house. Yeah, They're supposedly and it, and it, in a lockbox, but, you know, that I mean, that's insane. It's insane. So so I, I hear what you're saying, Julius, because I think there are a lot of important layers to this, and I think— you know, we just had Libby Emmons on. I don't know if you heard from New York Post, and she's a conservative. She's a Second Amendment rights person, but she was saying um, that you know she was so moved by what happened in Uvalde that she also thinks maybe this is maybe raise the age um, for certain guns. By the way, I had uh, Bill Bratton um, or Howard Safer actually on recently, 
and Howard, former NYPD commissioner, who's also, you know, a a very sort of staunch uh, pro-law enforcement, pro-security, all that stuff. He says that for maybe assault weapons, it should be 21 or it should be the same criteria that it is, at least for something like a machine gun, that there has to be extensive checks. There has to be, you know, there's 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 different these different layers here. Because you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to ban the gun. you got to somehow check the background of the people. And in some of these cases, you know, um, I mean, that mother in Sandy Hook, that was irresponsible. You don't take a, a, a mentally deranged son who had violent tendencies, and I mean for years and years and years, and, and think taking him to the gun range and putting guns in the house is the right thing to do. I mean, that to me is outrageous. And in this case of the kid in Texas... He was holding up dead animals. He was mutilating himself. He clearly had mental issues. And then he said, I want to buy a gun when I turn 18. And guess what? He buys a gun. We don't know if the grandmother at this point knew that he bought a gun. But if she did, shame on her. There's, there are so many layers to this, Julius. Um, and I appreciate your thoughts because coming uh, your thought about all these layers, I really just I think that that's where we have to be. We have to look at a all inclusive because there's not one solution to this. And I hate when I see either side really playing politics with it because our children's lives shouldn't be a political issue. Julius, thank you very, very much. When we come back, we're going to continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. This is The Rita Cosby Show. You are listening to the Rita Cosby Show. By the way, uh, just in the last hour or so, it's been breaking in the Washington Post that the Uvalde mayor in Texas is saying that there were frantic attempts to try to call the shooter during the massacre that a would-be, quote, police negotiator deployed in a funeral home. Remember, they had the shootout, not the cop that they first said happened. Uh, But they had a shootout with the guy in the parking lot, and then he went inside. But that a negotiator was in that funeral home across the street, and he frantically tried to reach the gunman via cell phone. It doesn't look like he was able to get the guy, but the goal was to try to get him on the phone. They tried every number they could find, but the gunman did not pick up the phone. Maybe they tried to also call him in the school. Maybe they were, you know, number in uh, in the classroom or something like that. So they were trying to negotiate. So maybe that's another part of the reason that they were waiting and waiting and waiting. Didn't sound like the guy wanted to negotiate anything. Um, And boy, again, so many different mistakes made. Boy, it would have been great had there been a peaceful solution or had he negotiated before he opened fire on that school. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Um, let's go to BJ in Queens on line five. Go ahead, BJ, your thoughts. Hey, thanks, Rita, for having uh, me on. It's a great show as always. You, by the way, you are such a patient, nice lady. I, I, I could never do that. <laughs> you mean that last that guy list. who started telling me his history from uh, 1812 on? Oh, he was. Uh, he, what's scary is he he's actually was a principal. I mean, uh, right. Uh, like, 
Mr. Woodman from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter was uh, more focused than he was. Oh, uh, my good. No wonder. I, you know, no wonder he's no longer a principal. Although, you know, he seemed like he had good intent, though. I will give yeah, him he credit. He seemed like a nice man, he you did. know, like, uh, you know, but uh, but be that as it may. Yeah, if, if a kid's the, in a rush, the, can you imagine? I got to go catch a school bus, Mr. Principal. Can you get past uh, the 19th century so we could get oh. going? Oh, my gosh. Out of it. The, the, you know, I tell you, you said it on the head. We are in the same boat we were before the shooting because we are not talking about muscling up these areas of mass congregation. The teachers will have no talk of securing the schools. It conflicts with their leftist narrative of uh, CRT, LGBTQ, and the and, whole bit. And by the way, BJ, you know, and BJ, I'll let you finish your thought. You just reminded me of something really important because I saw earlier today that some teachers in Houston – in fact, were upset at Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz said we need to start looking at maybe some armed guards to do whatever we can to protect our students. And there were a number of teachers groups um, in Texas where, of course, he's the senator who are not happy with him, who are saying, you know, how can you talk about hardening schools? You know, like, like uh, how could you not talk about that, B.J.? Yeah, no, they 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 hate conservatives. Uh, they think they run the schools. They don't want to hear from you. They want you to shut up and just pay the taxes and pay their inflated salaries so that they can work six, seven months out of the year between all the holidays they get. And but, they'll but have BJ, no talk. But BJ, of, they got to be safe. Schools. I mean, wouldn't you think after this, because the security guard obviously is protecting the students, but it's also protecting the teachers after something like this. If I were a teacher, I would say thank you. You know, like I would be glad that there would be efforts to secure the school for themselves and for the students. Well, I would, too. And I would be as a parent. And, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Pollack, who's lost his daughter in Parkland, was on and he said exactly the same thing I, I'm saying, that we need to beef up these schools. But I think what we're seeing, too, at play is a massive post-George Floyd situation with the police. Uh, there's a war on police, on the morale, and they, they, they're not proactively policing. They're, they're second-guessing themselves. They don't want to wind up uh, at the end of a, you know, in a bad situation, being blamed for it. And uh, you had like, uh, what it's looking to me from the outside is that this was some type of turf war, because we saw the footage of the of the police restraining the parents when they were trying to get in and save their children. That should never occur. You know, that type of, 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 of you know, although of although although BJ, you know, and and I hear you because I agree with you. I think there was some turf war. It sounds like this guy who's the commander on the ground, this uh, Pete Arredondo guy who I was just playing a clip at the beginning of the show. CNN caught up with him and he wouldn't even answer a basic question with them. I mean, he's like dodging and weaving. And everybody said he was the one who made the wrong calls. And it sounds like he was on a power trip, like, I'm the local guy. This is my turf, you know, kind of thing, um, which if that's the case, that that is absolutely horrible. And we'll obviously get more details soon. But he clearly doesn't seem to be cooperating, according to a lot of reports still tonight. Um, so in addition to that, you know, then in this particular case, I mean, there were a lot of layers here. The problem is you can't also have parents as much as believe me my heart breaks and if i were a parent in that school i'd do the same thing i'd be trying to rush that school too um but you can't also have suddenly you know like uh you know 100 parents or 500 parents rushing into the school because boy is that chaotic and what if the shooters start shooting at them i mean there's just so much but law enforcement absolutely 
thousand percent should have gone in. And in fact, Mayor Eric Adams came out in the last 24 hours and said this never would have happened with the NYPD. I don't know of any law enforcement person at this point who hasn't said this was a mistake. You got to charge. You got to take out the shooter. We're going to continue talking about this, everybody, after the break. And still some of the big inconsistencies in the story out of Uvalde. Why is that still happening? Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. I know your name is Rita, because your perfume is smelling sweet. We still can't get a straight answer, and everybody's wondering why won't the chief of police there for the school district in Uvalde, why won't he answer some simple questions? CNN finally confronts him today. He dodges and weaves and basically says, oh, oh, I, I'm talking to them every day. Well, are you cooperating? Oh, I, I, I got to go, you know? Uh, I got to go sneeze or do something. I mean, he is trying to do whatever he can, it seems, to not answer questions. And to me, there are still so many conflicting versions of what happened during the Texas shooting. Uh, I know so many of you in law enforcement listen to the show. Have you ever heard of a shooting where here it has been? Sadly, it's been over a week. We still can't even get basic facts right. It's like one day we hear something else new, we hear another version, then they correct the one before. They keep saying it's this guy on the ground who is the commander, who it doesn't sound by any account said charge and breach the school at any point. It sounds like he was stand down, stand down, stand down. Now we're getting word, too, as I just uh, saw just a little bit ago, that apparently there was a negotiator who was trying to negotiate with the shooter. And they were calling all the different numbers, probably numbers in the classroom. Maybe they even had a cell phone for him from the grandmother. Remember, he had shot the grandmother and then she called 911. So assuming he probably had a number as well. But he wasn't picking up on any of the phone numbers. So what were they still waiting for? Were they just hoping that somebody would pick up the phone? Obviously, he wasn't picking up the phone. And at some point, you got to go in. My goodness, what were these people waiting for? And why are we still not getting... The basic facts on a lot of different things. One of the things that continues to bother me is this whole thing with the door. Because at first, remember, they said that the door was open, the back door on the west side. And that's how we got into the building because the door was, quote, propped open by a teacher. Remember this version. Take a listen. This is the Texas Department of Public Safety, Steve McCraw. And this is what he told us not that long ago. We know from video evidence, 1127, the exterior door suspected of what the, where we knew the the shooter entered, Ramos, was propped open by a teacher. 1128, the suspect vehicle crashes into the ditch, as previously described. The teacher runs to the room 132 to retrieve a phone, and that same teacher walks back to the exit door and door remains propped open. So why was that? Obviously now it sounds like a lie. And the reason is through videotape obtained by the media that kind of blew the lid on it. 
it turned out the door was not propped open, that the teacher came back, closed the door, but then it didn't automatically lock, but that she did close the door. She didn't leave it propped open. So why were they trying to throw the teacher under the bus? And why did they say according to videotape when that's not what the videotape showed? The videotape, in fact, showed exactly opposite, that the door had been closed, but that apparently it didn't, quote, automatically lock. So why wouldn't you know a basic fact like that, that they were able to correct suddenly when some members of the media got some videotape that showed the real story? So there's one. Now, here's another one. Remember this fable about the security guard who was in a shootout with the suspect? Listen to this one. He went towards the the west side of the campus, which is a back door. But as he was approaching, as the governor mentioned earlier, there was a brave uh, consolidated independent school district resource officer that approached him, engaged him. And at that time, there was not gunfire was not exchanged, but the subject was able to make it into the into the school, as the governor reported. He went down a hallway, turned right, then turned left, and there was two classrooms that were adjoining. And that's where the, the carnage began. As he was shooting, when the shooting began, we had Uvalde police officers arrive on scene, along with the Consolidated Independent School District officers, immediately breached, because as we know in officers, every second's a life. They breached it, engaged the, 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 the act, active shooter, and continued to keep him pinned down in that location, you know, afterwards, until after a, a tactical team could be put together. So they made it sound like the school resource officer was at the OK Corral and was having a firing exchange with the suspect. Turns out the officer wasn't even there. I, I mean, either you know or you don't know. I have never covered a case where there are so many inconsistencies or lies. And why are they not able to get the facts straight? Well, finally, they corrected that fable because it turned out there was no resource officer. Reporters kept saying, well, who's the officer? We'd love to talk with him. Oh, gosh, we just found out he wasn't at the scene. Why would you say he was? You had to know whether he was there or not there. That, to me, is unbelievable. Here's them correcting that version. There was a discussion early on that an ISD, consolidated ISD for Uvalde, had officer, was a resource officer and had confronted the subject. That did not happen, as R.D. Escalon talked about yesterday. And it turns out he wasn't even on the school campus. He drove by the shooter. He wasn't even physically there. That is why this is astounding to me. I have never seen law enforcement make so many verbal mistakes or lies, and the question is why. Here's a little bit more about the resource officer when the truth came out. He was not on campus. Why? Well, well, again, again, we'll, 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 we'll have all those answers down the road. Okay? Wouldn't you think you'd know if he was involved in a shootout, delayed the suspect, got injured, and was the hero guard was, was the first version, or he wasn't even on campus? That's a big difference, and that is an outrageous flaw. And the question is, why are we getting so many mixed stories? It is really suspect. And then, of course, they said this Pete Arredondo guy was the guy who made the bad call because he's the local Uvalde school security chief for the whole sort of Uvalde school district. This is the guy who's ducking and weaving. So that, to me, is very suspicious. 
And they said that basically he's the guy who made the wrong call about the situation. Take a listen to this. The question simply is this. It was a 40-minute gap. And if the 911 operators were aware that, that children were alive in that classroom, why weren't officers notified of that? And if that's the case, why didn't they take action? That's the question. And again, the, I'll go back to the answer for right now, is that, that it was considered, okay, the decision was made on the scene. I wasn't there. But at the same point in time, you know, a decision was made that this was a barricaded subject situation. There was time to retrieve the keys and wait for a tactical team with the equipment to, to go ahead and breach the door and take on the subject at that point. That was the decision. That was the thought process at that particular point in time. And what kind of a moron makes that decision when you have kids calling in on 911 and teachers saying there are still victims that are alive in here. Please hurry up. The shooter's here. Please hurry. Please hurry. It doesn't get any more clear than that. And the dispatch tapes show that they knew that there were kids that were alive and teachers, and they were not storming. So if Peter Arredondo made that call or whoever made that call, they should never be employed in law enforcement again. And Steve McCraw, this is the only thing that I'm sure of that is correct. He said that was a bad decision. So take a listen to him at least calling that one out. And for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision, period. There's no no excuse for that. So don't you think somebody should be fired? I mean, we're, I have never heard so many different, different opinions. I'm glad that the Department of Justice is looking into this. They're hiring some independent group to look into this. I'm also glad that Texas Department of Public Safety, even though they can't keep their story straight either. So it's like the blind leading the blind. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John on line six. John, your thoughts about all this. I have never in my life heard so many conflicting stories about so many substantive facts that they still can't keep straight. You tell me. Hello, Rita. Nice to talk to you. I'm a retired uh, law enforcement, retired detective sergeant from oh. NYPD. Oh, good. I'm so good. By the way, John, thank you for your service. I love you guys, and I am such a big supporter of the men and women in blue. But on this one, it is so confusing. Yeah. I mean, as someone in your background, can you imagine? Look at, look at such obvious facts. Like, why would they say there was like a shootout with this hero guard who delayed people, and it turns out the guard wasn't even on the campus? Well, well you got to remember this. This is some small Texas town. It's not New York where you have uh, plenty of investigators and we get the, the facts straight immediately and we take action. And I got to agree with Eric Adams there, too. Uh, in my training, we probably would have went right in there. But uh, apparently he shot through the door, right, and hit a few cops that were that had him at uh, contained in that classroom. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't have the equipment. I'm... I'm not agreeing with him, but they probably didn't have the right to, to, to take down the door. Okay, most doors are two-inch thick oak doors, as I remember when I was in school. You ain't taking that down with a kick. Right, so, right. Uh, so what? And by the way, here, actually, let's go through this, John, because you bring up some great points with your experience. Two things: they did go get a shield, and the shield apparently took like five to six minutes, which is totally understandable, as to your point. Uh, because of the firepower that was coming at them. So that that's one. The other is if they waited apparently 45 minutes to get a janitor's key. 
Yeah, well, that's... I mean, why why not blow the door off? I agree with you. You can't exactly, like, kick it down, but you got to have something to open the door. You shouldn't have to find a janitor to get the key for 45 minutes. In in my experience as being on regular patrol officer, you don't have that kind of equipment in a in a radio car. You have uh, you and your revolver. That that was it. We didn't have battering rams and sledgehammers and uh, all of that. And but I that's think, why you bring in the big boys and you say, right, okay, right. yeah. And guess what? They have a SWAT team, John. They had pictures of a SWAT team there. And and parents have been posting in recent days going, we have a SWAT team? They, like, posed for a calendar. Like, look at the Uvalde SWAT team. They did SWAT training in schools for active shooter drills. So they well, did. They they, so, right so yeah, they, they're, not, they're not exactly they the Opie and Andy. They have the uh, higher firepower. They have uh, AR-15s and the, the same comparable weapon at the uh, – the perp had so they they those are the guys you send in there and i've been in that situations where i've had barricaded felons like that and that's what you do you contain them as long as they're not shooting still and and but the chief's point of view i can understand he lawyered up he's got a lawyer because he'd be liable for all sorts of uh maybe criminal things but definitely he's going to get sued uh civilly uh and that's what the law enforcement today you gotta you protect yourself and that's what that guy's doing now. He he lawyered up, and he's, his lawyer's probably telling him not to say a word until uh, all this investigation is done and all our facts are uh, clear. And you know what, John? And, and I'm one of those folks, as you probably know, I am such a huge fan of law enforcement. And I think so many times you guys get the short end of the stick. It's ridiculous. I think, you know, you know, uh, so many of the issues, you know, with qualified immunity and all the things that you guys have to deal with and juggle, it's, it is the defunding of police. I mean, I think police have to have the best equipment, uh, the most staff we can have, that we can never thank them enough. Um, but in this case, this guy, if he did make these calls while people were saying, we're going in, we're going in, and apparently, um, finally, Border Patrol was like, to heck with this guy, according to this Texas senator. they The Texas senator said that, that he visibly understands, and I think he said he saw it, that the Border Patrol was so frustrated, like, what is this guy doing? We're just going in and basically ignored his authority and just kind of kept walking in and just said, too bad, we got to take him out. And then soon afterwards, they took him out because they had a, a pretty sophisticated team and they had, you know, snipers that were trained and all that other stuff. But, you know, what? it's like if this guy made the call, you know what? Shame on him. He should give the families answers and and I think there should be some sort of punishment to him. I really do. If he if he sat there and he went through all these years of training that were recent training, and anybody knows you go towards the suspect, how dare he decide it's a barricaded situation and everybody's dead inside when they're getting calls from live kids saying, "Please help me." I mean, yeah. that, and like like I agree. there's something clearly wrong here. The dispatch you hear on the dispatch tape of them saying. Here, there, there are kids inside. Please help us. You know, and that's relayed to police. I mean, I don't know what his decision was, but he made a bad one. And I think a lesson needs to be made of this guy because it sounds like a lot of other folks on the scene. It'll be interesting as they do investigations. I would assume there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to say, we wanted to charge, but he wouldn't let me. Or we wanted to do this, but we couldn't. Whatever the case is. Um, but but it may have cost lives, and that is a huge mistake, John. 
absolutely. But uh, I'm sure there were cops. I'm sure have three quarters of the cops there were willing to go in there. But uh, you have to obey the commanding officer who's on the scene. He's in charge of the whole thing. Yeah, so, no, I I hear you. I hear you. I'm sure they were outside that classroom. It's not like they all ran out of the school. They were right outside that classroom. So I, then I they that. probably could hear the shots, John. I mean, that's uh, the other reason that if they're in there and there were, because they say on the 911 calls, you hear some of the shots. You hear shots in the background. I mean, they're there. They're hearing the shots. If you're right outside the door, no matter how thick that door is, you're going to hear a shot. If anything, that would inspire me to charge more. Didn't a few of the cops, he shot through the door, and apparently what I heard hit a few of the cops. Uh, not fatally, but he did uh, wound a few of the cops. How are they going to get through that door? That's the problem. You'll just pile up bodies there if they're not uh, equipped uh, with the right firepower to take this guy on. Thousand percent, John. By the way, thousand percent. And that's the last thing we want is something to happen to law enforcement as well. But somebody has to stop the shooters, too. And, you know, and you, at some point they've got to, when they have the right equipment, it still sounds like they waited at that point, too. And that's why there's so many troubling questions here. Um, but you're right. I think if it was NYPD, I think if it was you, John, you would have been right there in there. 1-800-848-9222. And, of course, we want our cops to be safe, but we also want to protect our kids, too, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And we were talking about how it was a sophisticated member of Border Patrol that finally took out the shooter in Texas. Well, one of the members of the Border Patrol was sitting at a barber shop when he got word that there was a shooting and his wife and child were inside that school. He got the barber's gun and ran to the scene of the school and went inside and saved them and others. And this is how Border Patrol agent Jacob Alvarado described the scene when he got to the school. As I went in, I just saw a whole bunch of kids running out, running, running off campus, jumping through the windows, cops breaking windows, and just a complete chaos, pretty much. So he got in there. Why wasn't the chief ordering everybody else to get in there? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michael, line seven. Michael, your thoughts about what needs to be done now? Okay. Um, Couple of of things. Number one, the schools have to be hardened. There's a high school near me. Within one day, I saw every single back entrance door with steel plating on it, okay? So when you have Brandon saying, no, 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 not hardening, let's look at the, uh, uh, about gun laws and everything, Michigas. And the other thing is nobody is discussing how this shooter and the one in the other high school that you were discussing had very disturbing backgrounds. And he is texting or whatever messaging system you want to call it to people of his age, and they're accepting what he is saying as normal. A great point, Michael. Great point, because... 
I've always wondered the people who are receiving these messages, like in the case of the guy who said, I'm about to shoot my grandmother. He sends it to some girl. I think it was some girl overseas that he was chatting with. Um, And then he sends a message. I just shot my grandmother. And then he said, and now I'm going to an elementary school. I mean, I don't know where, you know, where these other kids on the receiving end were raised. But in my youth, if I was a teenager, I would go to my mother. Oh, my God, mom or dad, take a look what this person wrote me. This is really creepy. You know, and my mother would have called 911 or I would have called 911. I mean, you're right. It's like, what are they doing? Just sitting there and that's normal discussion. I mean, what kind of values are being taught to kids that if some stranger sends that to you, you better say something. I mean, that is just odd, odd, odd. Uh, Let's go to Frank in Ontario real quick. Frank, real quick, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. My heart goes out to the families and the children that have lost their lives and the teachers. And this is so disgusting that I totally agree with you. And it's just unreal that... You could, um, an 18-year-old, which, like you said yourself, was defacing himself and causing damage to his old body. Where's his family? I agree. I 1,000% agree. They need to say something. Friends, coworkers, everybody. When we come back, we're going to continue discussing this and talk about Johnny Depp. Rita Cosby is on. Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, a very powerful story coming out of Montana, where a St. Regis man was honored with the Bronze Star for his bravery during the Vietnam War. And it happened yesterday when he got the honor. And it dates back to October 7th, 1967. It's a day that Ed Fontaine will remember for the rest of his life. When that fire opened up, I thought, oh, suicide. We just got told to go up on a hill. It was a hill that exposed him and his unit to the enemies of the Vietnam War. And at 18 years old, the machine gunner in the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division was faced with a very difficult choice. And he knew what my bosses were saying to them. He said, I'll go if you go. And we both know what that meant. I will die if you die. As he was 20 meters away from the enemy, he shot and all suddenly went quiet on the front, buying his unit valuable time to go on fighting the war. And that moment was an enormous turning point and success. It was Fontaine's bravery over 50 years ago that awarded him six military honors, including a Purple Heart and now the Bronze Star for his heroism. The Bronze Star is given to those who show heroic service in a combat zone. And Fontaine says he could not have done it without the grace of God, describing his actions that day as purely a miracle. What a powerful, powerful story and a great reminder of the incredible heroes living among us. Well, today, can you hear the cheering from Johnny Depp's legal team? It was an enormous case. Everybody's been watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. At first, I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch it. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're talking about these things. I didn't know who was crazier than the next. I thought his movies were wild. I thought her movies were wild. 
Now, their real lives were wilder than even the movies. It was wild to watch. And, of course, the big verdict came down just a few hours ago. Take a listen. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Has Mr. Depp proven by a greater weight of the evidence that question, the statement was made or published by Ms. Hurd? Answer, yes. The sta- question, the statement was about Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Question, the statement was false. Answer, yes. Question, the statement has a defamatory implication about Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Question, the the defamatory implication was designed and intended by Ms. Hurd. Answer, yes. Question, due to circumstances surrounding the publication of the statement, it conveyed a defamatory implication to someone who saw it other than Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven by clear and convincing evidence that Ms. Hurd acted with actual malice? Answer, yes. It was a damning verdict for Amber Hurd and certainly a big win for Johnny Depp. And this is how Judge Jeanine Pirro on Fox News described the verdict. Whenever there is someone like an Amber Heard, and I felt this right from the beginning, although I held back on it, she was not saying the truth. What she said didn't ring true. It didn't make sense. And yet she fashioned herself this woman who was crusading on behalf of other uh, women who were battered. I know women who were battered. I've seen women who were battered. Amber Heard was not that person. She was the batterer. And she tried to use this to her benefit. And unfortunately, this will hurt battered women coming forward behind her. And Judge Jeanine said that Amber Heard felt the wrath of justice. Today, she felt the wrath of the truth finders, the wrath of the system of justice, the civil system. It said you cannot charge someone or claim that someone is an abuser. So what does this mean for the movie star's future? What does it mean for the Me Too movement? Boy, there are lots of questions because Johnny Depp was awarded 15 million bucks by the jury. Amber Heard, because there was a separate defamation suit, was awarded $2 million for a statement that his attorney slash agent made. Um, but overall, a huge win for the acting superstar, Johnny Depp. And where do we go from here? And what did you make of the verdict, everybody? Was it justice served? Well, joining us now to talk about the entertainment implications of it all is the great entertainment reporter, Bill McCuddy. He's a contributing editor at Schnapps Media, goldderby.com, and the New York Post. He also co-hosts the podcast, The Accutron Show, and he's a critic on the PBS show, Talking Pictures with Neil Rosen. Is there anything he can he doesn't do? My gosh, he's got 5,000 jobs, and he does a great job at all of them. And Bill McCuddy, it's great to have you here on the show. Thanks, Rita. My bio sounds as loud as that verdict today. Yeah, yeah. It was long. It was, but it's good. It's a good, and by the way, it was a good verdict for Johnny Depp. Well, what was yeah, your reaction? He was already, uh, partying. He wasn't even there. He was in London uh, 
performing with Jeff Beck, and that was a little strange that uh, that he didn't feel that he needed to be there. Uh, I, I don't know whether he thought he was going to win or lose, but I, this is a guy who hasn't really cared about what America thinks about him through this whole process, and they both have been, as you said, the train wreck that everyone has slowed down to look at. And and when we say that this was a win, we're still talking about two pretty reprehensible people when we learned about what went on uh, in their private lives. So, uh, yeah, it's a win, but it's it, basically the jury said he's the cream of the crap. By the way, that's a good line. Um, you know, you know, Bill, um, the fact you're right that he wasn't there, part of me thought – even if he didn't get a dollar from the deal, that a lot of what he was doing was really the court of public opinion because he felt that he lost a lot of money, um, that his reputation was damaged. Obviously, the jury agreed with him based on their decision. But it was more of just like he wanted to come out and clear the air and tell his side of the event. And even if uh, he only got $5, I think he might have been happy. Well, I think that's exactly what he wanted, especially since in the U.K. two years ago, this didn't go his way. A judge there said that there was evidence that Amber Heard had been abused physically. And so he felt like that was the downward spiral that he had to try and pull out of. And he got to do it. He got to sit there. Uh, We all watched for a couple of weeks. Everyone decided that her tears were false and that he was being honest. He was kind of good-naturedly cajoling the the prosecutor and and reading what they said and then saying, yes, that is what I said, or no, that is no matter how horrific the statement. So I think we saw some of the best acting out of him that we've seen and out of her, or at least an attempted acting out of her. And uh, I just don't know what is going to happen to either one of them. I'll tell you something kind of interesting is that all through this process, there was a media company that had been calling people and polling them about what they thought. And most Americans, something like 86% think he'll have a career after this. Uh, They thought like 12% thought she was going to have a career moving forward. So the thing to remember is that Yes, he was maybe going to be in one more Pirates of the Caribbean and a couple of other things. But for the most part, uh, the movies he's made in the last five years have been kind of stinkers and very small budget and didn't really make a lot of money. So this enthusiasm for his career, let's bring back Jack Sparrow. I'm not sure they want Jack Sparrow in, in Hollywood. You know, although he contends that he was – by the way, I ended up going. I met Johnny Depp. I was actually on the red carpet. I went to the premiere of one of the Pirates of Caribbean, and I looked on, like, one side of me was Orlando Bloom, and the other side was Johnny Depp. Uh, so so I was I I was in between. The, I'm like, oh, God, the two guys are right here. I mean, who knows? Well, maybe was she was the, maybe the she Oscars, was there. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was there as many times as, as you. And, and By the I, way, I think you have many, me beat because you've been there many a time, my friend. Well. Uh, but, I, I, you know, he was affable and, and liked being a star and wore it well. Uh, the problem is the opioids and drinking and everything else that happened to him. And even his own agent testified, which is pretty amazing, at this, uh, at this procedure that he was kind of washed up. And, of course, they were using that, they were turning that to say that he wouldn't have been if this hadn't all happened. She had defamed him. But, uh, you know, the, the future is 
very, very questionable for a 58-year-old guy who can't play the young, dashing, nightmare on Elm Street uh, kind of a part anymore. Uh, he's been using a lot of prosthetics in some of the things that he's done uh, over the last few years, and he's trying to move into like a character actor. Well, that's not the big money, uh, the big payday uh, that he needs to sustain the lifestyle that he's come up with. So uh, he's got to he's got to straighten out his act. He, he can't take a victory lap. Everyone in the media is calling this a win for him. The truth is, I don't think anybody won today. I, I wished that the decision had been uh, in both of their favors and that each owed the other a dollar, and maybe nothing like this would ever go in front of a jury again and certainly not be on television. But what happened happened, and so now we have to say, well, what's what's the future look like for either one of them? And I'm not sure that anyone in Hollywood, even though they've said that he won, is going to bank him, give him 20 or $30 million to be in a movie again. Although there may be the curiosity now, after all this, too, to, to see not him in... one film, yeah. but I, I'm not sure that that'll make a, a, a career. Now, Hollywood loves a comeback, and that's true for Amber Heard as well. Uh, but I think she's got a much, much more difficult road to tow. I do, too. I do, too. Bill McCuddy, so great to have you on and get your awesome perspective. Uh, the great entertainment reporter, so Thank awesome you. to have you with us, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, everybody. What do you think? You just heard uh, Bill McCuddy's take. What did you think of the verdict? Um, I actually thought uh, going in his favor was the right way. Um, I didn't find her as convincing. I thought I would find her more convincing when she got to the stand. Um, And it was a really high bar, actually, for him to be able to win. But obviously the jury felt that way, and it was a resounding win, I think, in many, many ways. I mean, she got some money, but very, very small amount. But I thought it might even be like what Bill was saying at one point, maybe like both were going to get the same amount. So it would be an even wash maybe as a message. But they clearly overwhelmingly went in favor of Johnny Depp. And everybody has been watching this from beginning to end. Where does it go from here? And was that a just verdict? What are your thoughts on that? We're also, of course, continuing with the topic of what we were talking about before. Also, the school shooting as well in Texas and the mixed messages coming out of there. 1-800-848-9222. The 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to David in Los Angeles on line one. David, your thoughts. I like Bill McCuddy. I think he was a little bit off in his assessment. This was the biggest pop culture event since the O.J. Simpson trial. Johnny Depp is now the biggest star in the world now after this. Uh, he, I'm surprised at the overwhelming support. About 98% when you look at polls believe Johnny Depp. Amber Heard definitely hurt the Me Too movement. She's done for life. She's going to need security everywhere she goes. Probably the most hated person in America. Johnny Depp is going to be in Beetlejuice 2 with Michael Keaton. Um, sure, he's not young anymore and won't be doing Pirates of the Caribbean. But again, I didn't realize how beloved Johnny Depp was. Now I'm telling you, he's the biggest star in the world. You know, I, by a- the way, David, I agree with you in that respect. I actually think he's extremely bankable right now because I think right now, whoever gets him next will probably pay a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of different parts. There's different ages also for people in Hollywood. It's, you know, it's the reality. The guys seem to be able to have a longer career in Hollywood, and he doesn't look – he is up there as Bill for Hollywood age, but still looks very good. 
And I think he's super bankable right now. I think he's going to have a lot of offers. And I agree with you that I think Amber Heard is going to have trouble getting stuff. I think the jury clearly didn't buy. I mean, when you listen to the verdict, too, I was watching it live as it happened. I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was like they were thoughtful. It was like, you know, did she prove this? No. Did she prove this? No. Did she prove, you know, I mean, there were a lot of things they had to go through. They clearly didn't believe her. They thought she was lying on the stand. I mean, they clearly thought it was a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, I'm very surprised. Nobody seemed to believe a thing she said. She made a lot of allegations. I think Johnny Depp's career could take that of a Robert De Niro, maybe do some darker roles and uh, be like the Robert De Niro. He did the Meet the Parents type of movie. I could see him taking that type of role. But clearly, I agree with Judge Deneen, this hurt the Me Too movement. Amber Heard thought that she was going to be the queen of Me Too, and it was going to help her career. And, you know, Johnny Depp divorced her, and she was going to pay him back and show him it totally backfired. But I like to say that this doesn't mean women shouldn't be believed. It just means that Amber Heard's a despicable person who's going to be paying for the rest of her life. Well, and and I'm glad you said Uh, David, that it doesn't mean women can't be believed because I don't want legitimate cases. And of course, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know what's legitimate, but the jury didn't find her legitimate. Um, But you don't want it to dissuade other people who really do have legitimate cases or cases uh, that a jury would believe or where the evidence is so clear or whatever that, you know, it would have helped in this case for her case. But you don't want other people, whether it's men or women, not to come forward because that's an important message. And and when I hear people saying, oh, gosh, maybe it's scaring other people, that would really, really be a shame if that is the repercussions from this. Um, you know, that would be a really, really sad thing if it holds other people back because that is an important topic. And uh, But it was like, as Bill was saying, it was like a train wreck. Nobody could get their eyes off. It was like, oh, my God. At first, I remember thinking – to myself, David, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm probably not going to watch it or whatever, you know. And then I was like, I can't. When I was listening to him talking even about his childhood and then some of their fights were like, oh, my God. It was like they were just one was crazier than the next. I realized my life was a little boring compared to theirs. I was like, wow, I guess I'm I'm a prude compared to that one. Whoa. It was like it was wild. It was wild, wild, wild. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. And we're also talking about what happened in Texas. Still so many mixed messages, and the chief of police there doesn't want to answer questions when CNN confronts him. There's a lot of questions, and the families of all deserve answers. We're going to continue with your calls on that after the break. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about so many unanswered questions and so many inconsistencies about the Texas school shooting because, boy, was it horrific. And, boy, do the family members who lost loved ones deserve answers. And tonight, it's like, who's on first? Who's on second? They can't keep their story straight. I have never seen a case where law enforcement has provided such inaccurate information First saying there was a resource officer who had a shootout. Then there wasn't. The door was propped open. That's how he got in. Turns out the door wasn't propped open. I mean, there are just so many stories here that just don't make any sense. And meantime, the guy who was the commander was confronted by a CNN crew today 
And he basically was dodging and weaving and wouldn't answer any questions. And the Texas DPS says he's not answering any questions to their investigators either. That was the local Uvalde police chief who apparently made the call not to go in and breach the school and charge the shooter. That's what you got to do. I mean, there it is. It is disgusting. And families deserve answers. And one of the senators down there, uh, a local senator, said that he has asked the Texas DPS to give answers. And he is hoping that by Friday he'll at least get an accounting of which units were on the scene, when did they come, when did they arrive, when did they get into the school. That should be a fairly easy thing to get an answer from. And he says right now he has still not gotten answers to those questions. And he's asked to get a full accounting, if he can, by later this week. So hopefully there will be some answers later this week, at least on some aspects. But my goodness, I have never seen such a chaotic investigation And such a poor performance by law enforcement at a time that every second counted. And the question is, why are we getting still so many mixed messages? It doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Larry on line seven. Larry, your thoughts. Yeah, okay. Okay, so so continue what I said, what I was saying last night. Uh, which you disagreed with, I said, uh, we have to present law enforcement with a different set of, uh, scenario. And this is because I believe you are o- overestimating the capabilities of law enforcement. This is not the military. Let me distinguish. The military, you, when, when people sign into the military, okay, first of all, the average soldier, uh, elite units are picked for certain missions in the military. The average soldier does not necessarily go into uh, a dangerous situation, such as in the school. But be that as it may, the average soldier is given a, 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 a training which says that you're going into to the military for short term, okay? And you may have to say, you may have to risk your life because we are at war, or this is very you know uh, important mission for our country. So but what's your these, point, Larry? I hear you. The people in the police, this this is employment. This is lifetime employment. They want to live for a lifetime and get a pension and retire like everybody else. But but Larry, that's Larry, Larry. No, no, I'm actually not because law enforcement, I can't think of anybody in law enforcement. And I've talked to, you know, probably a couple hundred since the shooting happened. Every single one of them has said that they would have charged. Because they said that that's what they were trained to do. It's like a house fire. Like if you, if there's a fire and a firefighter gets called, you know, they may not want to go into the burning house, but guess what? That's what they're hired to do. They go in the house. You're making it sound like police, you know, uh, that they're afraid that I do think there was maybe some fear because we did her early on in the Texas DPS. And of course it's a scary situation. I mean, I, I absolutely understand that is a risky situation, but by most law enforcement account that, and you've heard it everywhere, not just people I've talked to, but everywhere consistently have said they should have gone in and charged because if they're not going to stop the shooter, who is, what is a kid in the school going to trip them or do something like that? I mean, come on. I mean, somebody has to take control and that's what they're hired to do. You make it sound like they're sitting back and knitting sweaters, Larry. And I think predominantly law enforcement, 99.99%. They're amazing people. They're heroes. And I bet you there were a lot of people that probably wanted to go in 
and were told, do not go by the superior on the ground who made the wrong call. And that superior should absolutely be punished. But I think predominantly people get into law enforcement. They want to make a difference. They want to help. They wanted, I'm sure, to help those kids inside. They tried to do their best. They also did need better equipment so they could go in there because you don't want it to be a suicide mission. But I bet that 99% of them wanted to go in and wanted to charge and wanted to save those kids. And I hope the families get the truth because they deserve it. We need answers. The public does. But those families deserve it more than anyone. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 